1: Hey, everyone. Mike Brazier here again, your co-host of the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Just a a final quick reminder here that the episode you're about to hear was recorded prior to the coronavirus becoming a part of our everyday lives. This is part three in a three-part series with Jerry Holden, our Director of Operations for Ducks Unlimited's Southern region. And so, like the other two episodes that we've had on uh, prior to this, noticeably absent from this conversation are all the challenges that the coronavirus has brought to Ducks Unlimited and everyone else in the world. So, uh, just just keep that in mind. The reason for that, we recorded this prior to the coronavirus. There's a lot of great information that is still very relevant in this conversation. And so, we wanted to bring that important information to you. We will try to get Jerry on the podcast uh, uh Sometime in the near future to talk about Ducks Unlimited Southern Region, how efforts are continuing to go forward in light of all these challenges. But in the meantime, enjoy the message here, the conversation that we had with Jerry. Thanks again for listening, for all your support in these unprecedented times. Enjoy the episode.
0: Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier.
1: We're back today with Jerry Holden, Director of Operations for Ducks Unlimited Southern Region. Jerry, thanks for joining us again. I'm super happy to be here. We concluded the previous episode having talked about some of our priority regions within priority areas within the southern region. But we still have a lot of material to cover. I want to ask you some, um, just some questions about how how the business is going within the southern region. Probably that's where we'll we'll start. Uh, we've had Stephen Air on, Scott Stevens on. I've had other conversations with folks within the organization. Just uh, this is sort of big picture. Du where we are, where we're going, uh, all in the context of some of the challenges that we are facing in the conservation field. You've referenced earlier that the challenges, the drivers of habitat conditions, waterfowl populations across North America. Are large, and they in some cases, in many cases, occur at scales both in time at space that are difficult for us to overcome, and so that means we have to think bigger. We have to think more innovatively about our conservation solutions, but also about our conservation supporters. And so, I know within the organization, uh, and actually outside the organization, across the migratory bird habitat conservation field in general. Um, the desire to expand our support uh, to to attract more people to what we do is certainly of growing importance. And this conversation could go a number of different directions um, because it is such an important topic and covers a lot of different areas. But I want to ask you just so with when you hear when you think about that, the importance of us growing our support for wetlands and waterfowl conservation. What are the things that first come to your mind as it relates to what's happening within the southern region?
2: The central truth is that, though many don't realize it, people are dependent on the same ecosystems that waterfowl are. People, maybe it's more obvious in areas uh, where the Playa Lakes recharge the Ogallala, but it's true in all of the landscapes. And so I think in the end, it is the very depths of the crisis in which I find hope. Because as people find their version of the Flint water crisis and all of a sudden their water is not uh, consumable uh, without boiling or uh, the, f- the food that they buy, that they're used to buying milk, for example, uh, is suddenly three times the cost. Then they, then they're galvanized to action. We are galvanized to action and we as a, as a people aren't very good at looking forward in time and saying, well, this crisis is coming. We should deal with it now. We tend to react to things right in the midst of the crisis and then we react very well to those. And so it is the, it, I think the DU will grow supporters because the work that we do, waterfowl are at the apex of the justification for most of the work that we do. But we are we're moving in the southern region to many projects where waterfowl are not at the apex, but yet are significant beneficiaries of the work that we do. And so we can do work with non-duck money in a landscape that's important to ducks. And the core of our supporters is well benefited by that. Yet and we're able to do more because we're tapping into non-duck money. Think one step deeper and you'll see Ducks Unlimited getting due credit for its conservation footprint from segments of society that are not consumptive users like I happen to be. And that's how DU is going to grow support. It's as we change the nomenclatures, we change the language around what we do to get get more people to see that they are dependent upon our
1: success. Change is something that always makes people nervous. In your conversations with supporters across the southern region, have you encountered any um, nervousness about, uh, about this idea of growing our supporter base? And what's the message that you use to try to reassure folks that we're not abandoning our core mission? The mission that was started in 1937, the thing that drives us as an organization, has not changed. So what's – I'll stop and I'll let you actually answer this. How do you? So when you sense that nervousness, what's your response? How do you try to quell that?
2: And so where it comes from is important to recognize. And it's a sense of loss. People innately understand that if you bring more supporters in that don't share the brotherhood of the blind, that they, they fear a loss of influence over what the organization does. That's the ugly, dark side of diversity, because you add these voices that come from a different perspective and you fear the loss of your decision making authority. And the way the way to do it I think the way that's been effective for me is a simple phrase of of we protect the core. The core is important, we protect it, but we expand the base. We don't we don't jettison the core and build a new one. We protect that heritage that we're part of. We partner with our state agencies on their R3 their recruitment, recruitment, retain, and re- reactivation of hunters. Uh, hun- hunters are, have long supported us. Um, some of our landscapes, like the prairie potholes, which have a, a really limited population base, you can think of it like this. If hunters don't want to protect potholes, who will? who will? Who There are plenty of benefits those potholes have to people that live in New Orleans in flood attenuation, but That connection is not as obvious as I wish it was. And so protect You reassure people by protect the core and expand the base.
1: It seems fairly natural that that a critical part of whenever we're trying to grow our supporter base, that we're honest. We're honest about what our core is. So when you've had any of these conversations with, let's say, prospective new partners, um, I'm sure that honesty comes through. Have you? What are the reactions that you've had? I, I would suspect that there are some that might kind of think twice about it. Uh, there are others that I'm sure appreciate the honesty, and maybe that attracts them to uh, to want to partner with us even more. What's What's that been like?
2: The, the authenticity is important, but there's a there's a nobility to what Ducks Unlimited does. Remember that Ducks Unlimited. It may appear to be a a hunting organization, a hook and bullet, a consumptive organization. That's because hunters have been amazing supporters, continue continue to be today. But what we are is a habitat organization. And that mission that says habitat sufficient to fill the skies means we're trying to operate at what is a particularly audacious scale. And it's that um, aspirational nature of Ducks Unlimited, the fact that we aren't doing projects, we're trying to change landscapes. And th- th- there's nobility there, and it draws people to it. Um, even if they don't know what we are, or if they look at us and they say, "Well, you're a hunting group, and I, I don't want to associate th- with that," then I respond as, "Well, we're a habitat group, and and there's plenty to associate with." You know, you hear all the time the whatever seven hundred species that benefit from wetlands. We do grassland conservation. We do forest conservation. We do whatever. Waterfowl need in a given landscape, but waterfowl aren't the only beneficiaries of the work that we do, and that has tremendous gravity for partners.
1: We ought to be able to get to a place where we can look for the common ground uh, and not get so caught up on the, the areas where we differ. I've I face faced this even in the in the biological realm, in the biological planning realm, where we've uh, we've participated in some some collaboratives across taxonomic groups, uh, waterfowl and fish or waterfowl and upland mammals, whatever the case may be. Uh, and on the surface, you think about those those taxonomic groups being vastly different, having different habitat requirements or whatever. But, but ultimately, there are some commonalities. There are some shared ideas, some shared needs. And as long as we can allow that to be our focus, we should be in good shape. And the, the fact of the matter is that the challenges that we face across, across the natural resources community at large are such that we really, if we're going to be successful, we need to put some of those differences aside and really focus on those those commonalities. One
2: of the obvious ones uh, that you and I would have experienced together in coastal Louisiana is the intersection between fisheries benefit, waterfowl benefit is right there in front of us. You can do things that benefit both, and there's economic benefit to society uh, there and at large, and there's economic benefit uh, at at the local scale, that is, um, there's synergy there. Uh, there, one's a force multiplier for the other. but Yet we fight and snip at each other because we come at it from different causes. And you're right; the commonality is what happens on the landscape. That's the trump card. It's always in the end. Our legacy is what do we do on the landscape?
1: And are are you sensing general success in our ability to to grow the? Um, our supporter base uh, and certainly at the corporate level, I think we've been able to bring in some new partners that 10 years ago that w- we didn't have because a lot of, a lot of corporations now have sustainability officers and they have sustainability goals and we can help them deliver on those goals. So I've seen some success in that, but at your level, the, from, from where you work, uh, are you seeing some pretty good success? For sure. We are in the beginnings of being good at that,
2: but, Corporations exist to make money, and, and so they they are aware of what their supply chain vulnerabilities are, and there are numerous examples of where Ducks Unlimited can either absorb some risk from them, which is good for their share price, or we can actually, uh, in the case of beverage companies, we can actually drive them rather directly towards success in getting the water that they need of a sufficient quality to do the thing that they need to do, which is make their product. And, and so that will continue to grow as we learn what they need and they learn what we can provide. Uh, can you can imagine how many different audiences there are to do that at the corporate level and, and where and how you do that. And ducks unlimited is moving towards uh, the identification and stewardship of more partners. There are, when, when you don't see it, when you see us as habitat at scale, unlimited and you're, and you aren't scared off by the, the hunting aspect of this, there's a lot of partnerships that can be forged and, and we can, uh, there are great things ahead for Ducks Unlimited in terms of being able to work at a scale more commensurate with the threats that we face.
1: On this same theme of diversification of support, and I want to talk about the Gulf Coast a little here. Um, I moved to the Gulf Coast in, uh, 2005. You know, my wife and I moved there in August and, um, or July 2005. In late August, Hurricane Katrina hit. Then Rita hit. And I believe it was two or three years later, we had Ike and Rita. Series of natural disasters that that had profound impacts across that landscape. Then, what was it? Was it 2010 where we had the Deepwater Horizon spill? April, April of 2010. So, a number of sort of natural and... Um, not so natural disasters have impacted that landscape and that has brought with it, uh, obviously, as, as I mentioned, some very, uh, very profound impacts. Some short term, some maybe a bit longer term, but has also brought with it some opportunities for, um, for restoration. How has Ducks Unlimited Uh, How have we fit into into some of those efforts? Are we have we positioned ourselves to contribute to some of the restoration efforts coming out of that? And is that part of our diversification of, of, uh, let's say, support and fundraising within the effort within the region?
2: Certainly. Uh, So the answer to your question is within each one of these crises, uh, regardless of whether they're uh, natural man made, man exacerbated, however you want to look at it, there has been a societal response. Uh, in terms of governmental response and send, sending money to try to address this in various different ways. And Ducks Unlimited has significant uh, engineering expertise. We have well in ecology expertise uh, because we've been fighting for waterfowl in these landscapes. We have been able to leverage the, that expertise because it's hard and dirty work. Uh, our, uh, not everybody wants to do the kind of actual work that Ducks Unlimited does, Um Winching a Mars master out that takes two days that you got stuck or or all of the details that come with the kind of work that we do. And that's, that's DU stock and trade is habitat work in some very inaccessible places. And so we've been able to do that for people, private individuals, state agencies, federal agencies at greater and greater scales as dollars have become available. And so in this way, waterfowl have demonstrably benefited from these crises and then therefore waterfowlers have as well we do that work on public and private land because that's where waterfowl need us to be the most of the landscapes of of the south are largely privately held uh, texas is some 80 percent maybe 90 percent yeah it's it's up there and and uh and so in order to meet the mission of ducks
1: unlimited for waterfowl we have to work where ducks need us to work. Social media is obviously an ever-present thing these days, and um, any Ducks Unlimited employee has, uh, I'm sure, seen uh, seen the comments posted. We get beat up pretty often um, with accusations of working too much on private land. Uh, but I've waded into those comments sometimes, but oftentimes it feels you know, it feels futile. You can't. Uh, you can't reach all the, the folks that, that may have some, um, some ideas or have some experiences that have been pretty local to them. You know, that Legitimately, there may be some of those issues. But um, how do we go about – I mean it, it's all about a it, – it's a, it's a balance if I'm reading things correctly. It's a balance where we have to work on, on public lands because that's where we want to um, – we have to work with our partners on their lands. It's also very important for providing our supporters and other constituents uh, access to the resource. Biologically, ecologically, we have to work on private land and the other thing is that 's not easy for I think that gets lost a lot of times is any of the work that we do on private land also benefits everyone else that enjoys the resource, whether you realize it or not, just because you can't physically set foot on that land doesn't mean that you don't have access in some way or another to the birds that benefit from it. We probably don't don't tell that story enough it's and it's it 's difficult. In some cases, it's probably a difficult message to tell because the response that people have is based on their observation of these birds being on private land that they can't see. What they can't, uh, what they, what, what's more difficult to appreciate, is the value that those birds derive from that piece of private property, uh, and then travel on back to the breeding grounds, for say, or that breed on private land in the uh, in the in the prairies, and that ultimately, because these are migratory birds, they don't stay on any single piece of property for very long. So it's a, it's an inherently connected system. And because that's where the majority of waterfowl habitat lies, it's absolutely imperative that we work on private land.
2: Indeed. another the other way I want you to, folks to think about it is you get the bird benefit, but you also get the clean air, clean water benefit, the pollinator benefits, lots of other species benefits, because many of the benefits uh, and harms from an individual piece of private land are exported through a whole bunch of mechanisms out to, to society at large. And so it's important that we that we work on ecosystems. And that means I can't stop at the property line. Um Another complaint we get is working on areas where I can't hunt. So uh, we work on places that are in the public trust, but are refuge lands. People will complain about that. But as we continue to lose waterfowl habitat, I assure you that providing a place for ducks to not get shot is an important way to keep them in a landscape. And you as a consumptive user do benefit from that. It's not a harm. It's a help. But it's often not seen that way.
1: Another thing that I I think, given that we're talking about this, would probably be worth uh, clarifying. Uh, Ducks Unlimited does not manage any property ourselves,
2: do we? Right, so in Ducks Unlimited Canada holds significant land holdings that we do manage, and 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 for waterfowl. But in the south, we might, as a transitionary period, hold a piece of property before we transition it to a state. But we don't uh, we don't have long term holds or management on any property today.
1: Whether it be on private land or public land, we we facilitate or deliver the the restoration activities, and then it's left up to the. To the manager, to the actual owner of that property, to make the decisions on the management,
2: right? One great way of thinking about it is, uh, we spend money someone voluntarily gave us on land that we don't own, over and over and over again. And one of the things that I think is true, I believe in my core, is true. Is D is one of the great values in conservation. Thirty-five dollar membership gets you a magazine, may get you a vest or a duck call, but what what it gets you in terms of public land and public benefit is staggering. You can't make a better investment. Then those thirty five dollars, the magazine
1: alone's worth that. And the rest of it's just land. Yet, what have been your observation of the driving force behind the growth of the organization? Let me just let me stop there. I have another question for you.
2: So there, there's not one answer here. One of them is that the. The lifestyle, uh, the waterfowl, waterfowl themselves enchant waterfowlers. They compel us in ways that are really hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. But it makes you want to that to persist in, in a really visceral way. And the truth is, that's the secret sauce inside of Ducks Unlimited. Those of us who've experienced it say, well, this shouldn't just be for me. This is the most amazing thing ever. How do I how do I show it to other people and how do I see to it that it persists beyond my time on this earth? So that's a big part of the answer of the growth of the organization. The other part, I think, is that since the mid 1980s, when we began to do U.S.-based conservation, a lot of people have seen the benefit. All conservation is local. It's one of the challenges we have of getting folks to invest in these far away unseen landscapes. Because all conservation, they, it's what matters to me in my place. And Ducks Unlimited has done more work in whatever your place is in the last 30 years. And that causes people to say, well, there's clearly benefit to my Ducks Unlimited support, vote, membership. Right. And so it's it's we're more present to them and it's waterfowl. They're magical and they compel us beyond our actual understanding of that compulsion.
1: They're highly visible organism. They're colorful. They, they transcend boundaries. They connect a lot of different things and a lot of different people. That's, um, of course, everyone that works in this organization is probably a bit biased. We have been enchanted, as you say, by this group of species. And, uh, we, we love working for the organization and certainly we love the support of our, of our, of our members. I want to talk about, uh, sort of personal rewards that you've experienced, and and I'll start uh, by saying you know, one of the things that I, I my dad is the first one that introduced me to Ducks Unlimited. He was a area chairman in North Mississippi, I think, back in the day. I have I have some hats and some of the plaques and awards that he received back in the day for those efforts. Uh, so I I was familiar with our event event system from um, from way back in the '80s. And that was my first introduction. And, and I volunteered for the uh, Starkville chapter of Ducks Unlimited uh, when I was at Mississippi State and then moved to Columbus, Ohio, and um, I think kind of lost a connection to the volunteer structure at that time. But whenever I moved back to Louisiana, after a few years there, I started volunteering with the, with the Lafayette chapter, worked for DU, but also volunteered as a, um, uh, for the Lafayette chapter. And there are a lot of our employees that, that do that. That was one of the most... Eye-opening, because it had been a while since I had engaged at a serious level with our, uh, as a volunteer on some of our chapters. Just you know, life happens, things get away, and uh, I, I told the guys there that after seeing the the work that they put into it, my biggest regret was not not getting involved sooner with that group. It was just inspiring and remarkable the amount of time that people. Uh, volunteer. I mean it's, time is that that ultimate finite resource. Nobody gets any more than the other person. No one. That's the, that's the most true fact that I could ever come up with is that no one ever gets more time than another person. Uh, and these people are donating their time for, for a greater good. Uh, that's been – it was really humbling to see that and to, to witness the level of effort that they go to. Of course, Lafayette uh, does a great job and, and other chapters do, do as well. Um, but that has been it, it's been an, it's an honor for me to be associated with the work of, of those people. So now I ask you the question as you've gone through working for the organization, what have been some of the most rewarding uh, things that you've experienced?
2: So uh, to pile on to that, uh, someone wise once said that if a rich man gives me money, I'm impressed. But if someone gives me their time, I'm honored. Right? And so you're right. Getting to work with our volunteers, board members, our are volunteer leadership it it is humbling and it is empowering i find it energizing to get to interface with those folks as they seek to leave a world better than the one they inherited from their parents when i was about 11 i shot a greenhead um on a wetland in kansas and and it it did that it enchanted me and i've, all, I've always wanted to work for uh, conservation and I was able to find Ducks Unlimited through chance or luck or divine intervention, whatever your belief system is. But there, as a result of that, I work a lot of hours for an organization. My wife happens to work for Ducks Unlimited Canada. And so the you get home and you immediately start talking about work and you, you'd never leave the realm of waterfowl conservation at scale and all of the permutations of that. And it's not work. It's not work because it is absolutely my my passion and so the real benefit that i get from ducks unlimited is i get to work on waterfowl issues which is something i care about a whole awful lot to uh to quote a line from doctor seuss and the and the uh, truchulatory trees right unless someone cares uh uh an awful lot nothing's going to change it's just not and i care awful lot about uh, the fate of north american waterfowl and its supporters that care about the things i care about i'd like very much to have my children to have the opportunity to do this i think it's important that our society find its way towards sustainability and that's intertwined in here and so figuring that out is uh the is obligation that you and i share in our roles in ducks unlimited and and uh those You said it earlier, but those are really complex problems. Um, they're so complicated that none of us has the easy answers, uh, I think, because there aren't easy answers. They're hard answers. But we're, we're working forward towards, uh, towards something. And I, th- that's my long answer to what's gratifying to me about Ducks Unlimited
1: is I, th- I feel like we make a difference. And th- that's really important to me. And we make a difference for Ducks geese, swans, all the waterfowl, we also make a difference for clean water, abundant water, storm surge protection, flood prevention, all of those things. It's really remarkable. I get excited a lot of times when I think about this. You know, when you look across the, the arena of conservation organizations, the one that stands out when you talk about wetland conservation, I mean, it's Ducks Unlimited. There's no, we don't really have
2: there isn't anybody to compare to us because we chose the hardest of paths, which is habitat at sufficient scale to support waterfowl populations of the late 1970s in alignment with the North American waterfowl management plan. And that is such an audacious objective that no one else would be foolhardy enough to grapple with it. And so people find other ways, um, because it, it's, it, it that is quite audacious, but in its audacity is nobility.
1: And it feels like there's so much room for growth because of all these other benefits that, that wetlands conservation intersects. And it's, that's a really, I've said this, uh, many times on the episodes that we've already recorded with other people. It's a really exciting time to be with, with Ducks Unlimited. And I really mean that because it, the runway is, looks pretty good in terms of an opportunity to, to grow support. Now, that's not to, it's not to say anything about the, um, that's not to belittle the challenges that we face, the resources that we care about uh, face. And so it's actually a good thing that we feel like we have uh, a lot of opportunities in the future here.
2: One of the things that I agree with you, it is a great time to work in conservation. Uh, in crisis, there is, there is shrouded opportunity and we have way too many opportunities. But one of the things that keeps me up at night is the near three decade long, uh, fairly sustained a wet-ish period in the prairies, it moves around. It's hard to define, but overall, the prairies have been pretty wet, and that has had a buoyant effect on waterfowl populations. Maybe with the exception of the past few years. Yeah. And so then it's been trending towards dryness. Well, what happens if we hit an early '80s drought when the rest of the the landscapes have have clearly have less carrying capacity than they did in the '80s? We we can map map and measure that, and so. I worry about the, the the status of populations when when you have this alignment of badness when you have dry prairies and sort of hampered wintering grounds. We haven't experienced that, just like we will next time when we have a a drought. And so there's a lot of unknowns. You didn't a- ask a question about what keeps me up at night, but that's one of them that really does.
1: And there's a, a generation of hunters that have known nothing but 60 and six liberal bag limits as a result of the extended wet period that you've talked about. That's their baseline. I know within the minds of a lot of our state waterfowl biologists and, and us as well, that's one of the concerns when we do get back to that period of, of drought across a large scale. Uh, and maybe we've started to see a hint of that over the past couple of years. What will people's reactions be whenever they're faced with declining success? Now, now granted, we've continued to see uh, breeding population estimates that are fairly high. And, and I know that kind of adds to the confusion of people, uh, when they say we're supposed to be at near record levels or whatever the case may have been this past year. Um, good population level, healthy populations, nevertheless, and, and maybe they don't bear out, you know, our Southern experiences, our experiences during the, uh, during fall and winter. Uh, but you know, nevertheless, we will, um, those are some of the additional challenges that we face on the social side of things.
2: One of the other challenges, and you and I have been in the same proverbial foxhole on this one as well, is the we don't, in a given state, if you sell 100,000 federal duck stamps, Ducks Unlimited won't enjoy 100,000 members. And some of the reason is that people, some people just aren't philanthropic or they don't, they just aren't wired that way. But some of the rest of it is that there's a a uh, sense amongst some that there's a sort of a conspiracy to deprive people of waterfowl, um, and that Ducks Unlimited participates in said conspiracy. And I suppose that's my greatest frustration with my job because we work tirelessly, countless hours doing everything we can to do everything we can for ducks and duck hunters, and to have someone demonstrably harm that enterprise, which harms waterfowl and waterfowl populations and waterfowlers, is
1: the height of irony because they're working directly against what they purport to love. And to my point, there's there aren't a lot of alternatives on the wetland conservation front that operates at the scale and with the ambition that, that, that Ducks Unlimited does. That's, you're right, that's, that's the absolute frustration.
2: One of the things we've been nibbling around the edges of is social license, one of the things that has allowed us to enjoy corporate support is they too have a social license question inherent in their business model and where we can find places where Ducks Unlimited can deliver habitat in priority landscapes that helps them. It's helped producers often, right? In some landscapes, they're like, you know, I'm vilified as the bad guy water quality wise or whatever. Well, Ducks Unlimited can work with them to help them retain their social license and have demonstrable environmental benefit, and benefit waterfowl, all on private lands, and 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 so it's it's these places where you have these stacked benefits or synergies,
1: is where we're able to make the most headway the fastest. And the intersection of waterfowl ecology and social science is um, is front and center in our profession now. We uh, had well, we had Barb Avers on a on a recent on a previous episode. Uh, waterfowl biologist from the state of Michigan uh, in that episode I mentioned that she's going on for her PhD she's 15 20 years into her career and going back for a PhD in social sciences human dimensions of wildlife just emphasizing the importance of of, of applying a new type of science to the many to the many um, challenges of the day so that's uh, that's where we are uh, Jerry we've we're probably at a point here where we're close to wrapping up before we do that. I wanted to give you an opportunity to share anything else that you might want to about ongoings within the Southern region. um, Any, whether it be related to any uh, major initiatives that you have going or or just whatever else.
2: So generally speaking, it's a really exciting time to do what I do. Uh, Ducks Unlimited Southern region, the business unit that I run for us has, has been really successful. We've been able to make consistent investments from the southern region into the prairie landscapes, which is a really authentic thing for us to do, and it helps people understand that we're going to do the right thing in the south, and we're going to do the right thing in the prairies to benefit waterfowl and, and society as a whole. And, and I'm really excited about that, and it's not it's not widely known that, that that goes on at the end of each fiscal year, but it's a great thing. And it's those volunteers that you and I spoke about earlier, you know, they expect us to do that. They expect us to be great stewards of the money. And as we've been able to do more work, uh, we're more and more able to do that. And so it's been it's been a privilege to be uh, 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 a thought leader for Ducks Unlimited in some ways and be able to be um, uh, an investor in those landscapes that are really important to waterfowl on both ends of the flyway and be what what we need to be uh, to be able to meet the mission of ducks unlimited as best as we can. Right. And not saying we made it, but doing the best thing. And so that, that's the thing I'd want folks to know is that we're, uh, we're continuing to do more business um, for ducks and, and people in the South and we're able to make investments in the prairies as a result of that. And that's a good thing because the prairies are also under uh, pretty impressive pressures of conversion. We haven't gotten into all of that, but, What I'm saying is the South is working uh, where the crisis is the deepest.
1: Jerry, thank you for your time. Thank you for your leadership in the Southern region. And I know this won't be the last time we have you on the show. I
2: sure hope not. I enjoy it. Thank you.
1: Special thanks to our guest on today's show, Jerry Holden, Director of Operation for Ducks Unlimited Southern Region. Uh, We we appreciate him taking the time to sit down with us over an extended period and discuss a wide range of topics. We hope you've enjoyed these these discussions. Uh, We look forward to getting Jerry back on with us sometime again in the future. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Barrett, for the great work that he does uh, getting these podcasts out to you, the listeners. And as always, the listeners, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your support, passion, and commitment for wetlands